Graduates Conversations podcast. Hi there, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series. Please make sure to tune in next week for part two of this conversation. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations Podcast. Uh, today, I am with Olga Garcia-Caro from uh, RMIT University, and um, she is currently a lecturer and a PhD candidate there, and uh, currently she's doing research on domestic violence interpreting. Hello, Olga. Welcome. How are you? Hello, Fatih. Thank you very much for inviting me uh, to one of your podcasts. Very interesting ones, actually. Thank you very much, Olga. Um, I just uh, want to do a little bit of a trigger warning before we start, if that's okay. And I just want to say that um, things that we will be speaking about today may contain potentially distressing content. Um, I guess uh, that's a warning that we have to make, Olga. Yes, in indeed, indeed. Very good that um, it's important to uh, to advise to advise our audience about um, about the content. Um, tell me a little bit about your research, Olga. Uh, now, I know you're doing your research on interpreting in domestic, domestic violence um, settings. Can you tell us a little bit more about your research? Um, well, this research was conducted here in Victoria and it looked at the experiences of culturally and linguistically diverse women victims of domestic violence. It also looked at the experiences of service providers. So these were specifically um, workers from two organisations responding to domestic violence here in Melbourne and interpreters uh, with experience in working in this field. Um, the main findings were in relation to the lack of specialist training for interpreters to work in this field, the lack of understanding also from service providers about our work and what we do and what, the, what we need um, as interpreters, and uh, also about structural issues. In other words, um, how language services are set up um, and how uh, the setup sometimes uh, affects um, uh, this field and affects interpreters' work and service providers and women accessing services. Um, so it seems that perhaps more discussion among the interpreting field and uh, service providers and uh, language services are needed um, in order to figure out and to uh, better meet the needs of uh, women, um, service providers and of course uh, interpreters as well. So that's basically this research. And um, I think in 2015, there was a Royal Commission into Family Violence uh, in the state of Victoria. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly right. And uh, we were actually very lucky because, as you know, we had six recommendations uh, in relation to interpreting. Um, now, some of these uh, recommendations were more uh, or had a bit more of an effect on interpreters directly. And some of them, although uh, in relation to interpreting, um, 
well, might not directly affect interpreters in their day-to-day work. So we had recommendation 64. So the Magistrates Court of Victoria staff had to, uh, the recommendation was that they had to hold a coordination meeting uh, before hearings in order to, um, to give uh, high priority to uh, high risk cases uh, and also ensure that interpreters were available. So we're talking here about availability. Uh, although this is something that is out of interpreters' um, hand, uh, if you will, but uh, it is something that, uh, that affects uh, women and affects uh, the, the um, the system and it affects service providers as well. So it's a big, big issue that's been happening for quite a while and it has a whole range of of consequences. Um, And the consequences are noted in the next recommendation, uh, recommendation 157, and that is that the Victorian government had to update its guidelines on policy and procedures uh, in using interpreting services, uh, in particular to deal with family violence. And uh, it was um, it had to look into the risk of using perpetrators and children and other family members as interpreters, and also using. Uh, the same interpreter for both the victim and the perpetrator. So that's in terms of availability. Another recommendation that also had to do with availability uh, was recommendation 158. And that is that the Magistrates Court, again, of Victoria had to allocate specific funding for family violence interpreters and to develop guidelines for booking interpreters in family violence matters. Some of those guidelines included um, an early early checking, early process of checking whether the parties actually needed an interpreter, um, and this is uh, related to then availability. <clears throat> also the practice of booking two interpreters for both parties if they needed, and also, and very important, to wherever possible that a female interpreter was booked uh, for the female party. Another one, and this one in relation to Victoria Police, is the recommendation 159. And this is, um, it recommended two things. One, that the code of practice of uh, Victoria Police um, was amended in relation to the investigation of family violence to um, focus and emphasise the risks that are associated with using children as interpreters and using also the same interpreter, again, uh, for both parties, for both the perpetrator and the victim. So we see that different um, codes and different, sorry, different recommendations and a different uh, setting. So the court system, Victoria Police, talking about the same things. And the other point was to provide practical guidance to 
officers, so to uh, um, police officers in the use of interpreters. So how to training them on how to appropriately and effectively work with interpreters. And uh, this had to be reflected in their code of ethics. So I think that's, that's very important as well. Um, um, and the other two recommendations, uh, recommendation 160, that was for the Victorian government as part of NATI to work with uh, other members of the authority of NATI and ensure that accreditation and testing processes and also the courses that are approved by NATI um, have and uh, require an understanding of the nature and dynamics of family violence. Now, um, the good news is that this has been already implemented. Some, uh, because some recommendations are in progress. Some had uh, a time of, you know, in two years they had to be implemented. Um, well, all this takes some time, but at least this one has been implemented. So NATI and all jurisdictions acknowledge the importance of ensuring that, um, again, accreditation and testing processes and that uh, all their approved um, TNI courses required this uh, training. So this means that uh, students uh, completing a NATI-approved course, such as the TNI program at RMIT, where, where I work, um, will receive education and training in the area of family violence. And the last one, um, recommendation 172, is that the Victorian government fund training and education programs for disability workers. And these are including um, interpreters. Now, this is in progress. This one hasn't been finalised. It is uh, slowly implementing. Um, it's in, uh, in progress. And uh, one of the things that has been done is the redevelopment of the Family Violence Risk Assessment and Risk Management Framework. Um, now called MARAM. Before that, it was CRAFT, now it's MARAM. Um, and it's been finalised and embedded in law from September 2018. <clears throat> now, MARAM ensures that services are effectively identifying, assessing and managing family violence uh, risk. Um, and if you remember in our first webinar in relation to interpreting in domestic violence service settings, we did provide a link to MARAM, a link to this framework. Um, uh, so we can actually, um, maybe you want to include it here as well in the uh, description portion below in this uh, podcast. <clears throat> but it is important that we, um, that we are familiar with it and that we uh, know what are the processes, how the system works, and what type of documents uh, do uh, services uh, use uh, so that we are familiar and that would uh, help us in our practice, that's for sure.
Uh, that's definitely right. Now, I will. Um, I was going to ask you that actually uh, further on uh, about some resources. Um, so uh, we will make these resources or links, at least uh, the most important ones, available in the podcast description, both on YouTube and also in the audio podcasts. Um, so they'll definitely be there. Um, just want to ask you in regards to the implementation of these um, recommendations. Uh, the website works amazingly, actually. You can put in the recommendation and um, it'll tell you if it's implemented or if it's in progress. And um, mm. from what you've told me, most of them are implemented and I can see them here on my screen as well, uh, especially in regards to the one um, about uh, domestic violence uh, education being included in TNI courses. Now, I know that um, uh, in the higher education courses. Yes, that's definitely in there. I can at least vouch that for that on behalf of RMIT. Um, hopefully other TNI programs uh, are equally uh, delivering these units or these um, particular mm. uh, topics. What about uh, the skill set courses? I'm not quite sure because um, I've got a hand in delivering some skill set courses as well because some of the languages don't have access to higher education or um, diploma or advanced diploma level education because those languages just aren't offered um, at that level. So if you have a new and emerging language and the only uh, formal training you do have access to is a NATI skill set course, which is about 10 weeks or so, it's quite a short course. Um, I'm not quite sure if uh, there's any family violence training within this short course, to be honest with you, who have, who majority of the students are new and emerging language interpreters or candidates of these languages. Um, I am not sure either. I do know that, um at least at RMIT, uh, we have our higher education program and there's also the um, VE program, so the vocational education. And I know that our, our colleagues in that program also include um, as part of it, as an approved NATI course, they include training in the nature of family violence. I'm not sure about the skill set. Uh, at RMIT, we um, actually are developing a skill set uh, for, uh, in particular, to for interpreters working in family violence service settings. Mm. So that is in uh, it's developing now. It's not available yet, and uh, we are do we are working in that because uh, we think that it's important that interpreters who uh, might already be working. Um, are already practitioners can have access to this skill set. If they already have a master's, they already have a degree, they've already gone through an advanced diploma, or they've been working for 20 years, they might want to do a short course, a skill set. However, I am not sure, I do know that you've been running these uh, skill sets for non-language, for these new and emerging um, languages, but I am not quite sure maybe you would know whether you've had included uh that those uh that content well, but um it might be something um let me uh, tell you there isn't there isn't much in there in regards to that so that might be something um that uh we could look into i think uh or yes probably because these skill sets are very a focus on giving uh these uh, new um particular for these languages where there's no certification available perhaps giving them the um, core 
uh, or the main skills uh, for them to be able to uh, to perform and not so much um, specialized um, uh, contextual knowledge perhaps I mean, I'm only I'm only pointing it out because uh, I know I might have put you on the spot here, but um, you know when I have a look and there's a green tick and it's implemented, I'm just not quite sure if it's implemented at all levels. To be honest with you, because oh, not, okay. not all students have access, or mm. not all um, interpreting candidates have access to um, VE or HE courses because their language is yes. Yes, yes, exactly right, exactly right. Well, more work to do then. In, indeed, that's something I guess we can we can um, ask the question on. Mm. Um, now, within regards to, you were talking about some of the issues. Um, now, you said there were some issues regarding interpreters, some issues regarding service providers, some issues regarding language services. Um, let's start with the interpreters, what kind of issues did you find uh, within your research um, that relates to interpreters? Um, I might perhaps um, highlight uh, one of them. Uh, I think it was, uh, I think it's quite um, uh, descriptive, if I may. Um, one of the issues is that the, the challenges that interpreters face when dealing with disclosures of violence and how this can in turn um, affect their interpreting skills, such as, for example, accuracy. Uh, one interpreter in particular, I remember, uh, mentioned that listening to traumatic events and traumatic experiences had an effect on her ability to perform at maximum capacity. And so she suggested that uh, training in knowing how to deal with disclosures of violence could uh, help her uh, then uh, in uh, accuracy and also in completeness. So that was one of the, and I found it very, very uh, important because um, we don't, use, we have the contextual knowledge, but we don't get this uh, training like other uh, service providers have in dealing and how, and dealing with these um, difficult experiences and events that, that clients and victims um, then tell us. So that's one of them that has then a ripple effect on um, <clears throat> in the whole uh, interpretive interaction, like accuracy and completeness. And we see how that is very, very important then for, um, for uh, service providers because uh, they will be able to do their risk assessment uh, properly if they don't have, uh, if, if every detail is not there or completeness, we don't complete everything that has been said will have then an effect on um, how they are going to provide the services for, for women and for victims. Well, anything from uh, providing services, but also, I guess, um, in the courtroom or at a police station, it might also have implementations on the charges that might be laid if, if it's not complete. Um, so, you know... It, exactly it's right. Yes, access to justice can be... Um can be hindered if we are not accurate and if we're not complete, that's for sure, yes. Well, and it might not be because um, our skills, it might be because we 
we uh, don't ha we haven't have uh, we haven't received that training in dealing with uh, traumatic events and dealing with disclosures of violence. So um, if we don't have that training, then that's going to affect our interpreting skills. No matter how good we are at them, um, those other factors are going to affect our skills. Um, in regards to training that's out there for interpreters, uh, you know, when we say interpreter training, it does usually focus on our skills, it focuses on contextual knowledge. And, um, you know, what kind of training can a domestic violence interpreter can get that's not purely about interpreting or contextual knowledge. So you're saying that, uh, you know, training in regards to dealing with these kind of uh, mm -hmm. situations, um, can, can you recommend uh, any specific training that an interpreter can get for domestic violence related matters, not necessarily about their skills? Um, well, Two things, in, in relation specifically for domestic violence interpreting, as far as I know, whatever is included, as we said, in the NATI approved courses, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and also I know that in Victoria, Monash University runs professional development courses every year and funded or in partnership with the Premier's Cabinet. Now, these have been running for a few years now. I was actually involved in the first one, and I think that was the first one, I think, was in 2016, 2015, 16. Um, that's more... Uh, uh, specifically for interpreting in these settings. Now, it doesn't have to always be in interpreting, as you said, and focusing only on our own interpreting skills, because interpreting always happens in another field, doesn't it? It can't happen by itself. It's, it's, a, it's a field that happens within other fields. So it's crucial that we have the contextual knowledge. Interpreting is a contextualised activity and um, having in language skills and interpreting skills is just not enough. So we also need to remember that there are a whole range of services responding to family violence. It can be legal, police, health, social services. So <clears throat> learning any professional or accessing any professional development um, in relation to those settings, to those fields are going to help us understand their work, their environment, their terminology, um, what are the goals of their work, what is it that they do, how they use language, because counsellors and social workers are going to use a different language than police, than lawyers, than legal services, right? So um, knowing about um, these uh, services and um, knowing about their discourse, so police officers are going to ask a series of questions why do they ask those series of questions? 
and social uh, workers or counsellors, psychologists are going to uh, use a different type of language. The goal is different. So having an understanding of all that is crucial for our work and is one of the pillars. So not only our language skills, our interpreting skills, um, our ethics, but also that contextual knowledge is just crucial. So any professional development that we can do in any of these fields is going to um, is going to help us. That is for sure. And when we know what we are, we know about the field. That is going to in, uh, in turn going to help us with our accuracy, with our memory skills, because we won't have to rely um, that much on it. It's going to help us with dealing with. Um, with disclosures of violence in uh, dealing with or or providing that empathetic interpreting that needs to uh, that is appropriate for the setting and so on and, and so forth so we could be here talking for yeah. hours couldn't we because actually family violence is um uh, is discussed in so many fields and can be expected in so many uh, settings. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series. Please make sure to tune in next week for part two of this conversation. All Graduates Conversations Podcast.